Hey there, it's Ben. I'm just wanting to give a quick shout out to everyone who's getting in touch with us on Twitter. We've been getting some really amazing shout outs for both Tales and Heroes. Those sorts of things really make it a lot more rewarding to do this show. And I'm wanting to give a shout out to our backers on Patreon who have been with us, who have been with us for two years and it's really heartwarming to be really real. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's helped this show grow and helped the Hydean Way grow more. Now, on to the show. (laughs) Ben, I don't know how much longer I can take this. Sure, it sounded like an easy job to begin with. Just take five crates of porgs to a destination. Easy as pie. But the squawks, I just can't take it anymore. Did you let them out? We're never going to get them out of the access tunnels now. They nest in everything. I'll have to see if my bogwing will hunt them. I hope she doesn't try and befriend them. Welcome to a squeakingly good tale from the Hydean Way. We're your hosts, Ben Yendel. And Risa D. This week, we are talking about the wonderful thing of different GMing styles. And what I'm meaning by that is there are things that you'll do when GMing for your friends like you wouldn't do with GMing a convention game where you've got no idea of anyone. And then there's also some over-the-topness or there's just some difference in how you GM for a actual play or a stream because it isn't just GMing for you, you're also performing for everyone else. The best way that I can put the difference is if I've got people actually looking at me, the chances I'm going to be doing a silly voice is relatively low. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Even amongst my friends, I'm not exactly that comfortable with it. It Depends on how long I've known the friends. (laughs) Or really the type of friend. Very true. Because my board game group, if I was to do RPGs with them, which I've really known them for like mm, 10 years, maybe? Versus my RPG group, which I've known for 25. So it's like the RPG group we grew out of a D&D second edition thing. <laughs> oh, they're so dungeon crawly. <laughs> oh, they're dungeon crawly. Loot the monsters, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's, it is very different. I even have, because I have the groups I've talked about quite a bit, where I have the people I'm doing, the Mars mission. Uh, Mm -hmm. And the people I'm doing the urban fantasy stuff with, the Mars group are people I've known for nine years, people I've known for, we're we're very close friends. I know them very well. I do all kinds of weird accents and voices and just ridiculous silliness with them. Whereas all of the people from my urban fantasy group started out as my boyfriend's co-workers. So... It is a very different relationship with them. Some of them I've gotten to know very well, Mm -hmm. but I can't do the same amount of silly with them as I do with the other group of friends. So I try to stick with just more toned down accents and stuff with that group, I feel. (laughs) Mm. Because it's a very different, I (laughs) feel, you know, people who are basically like brother sisters, some of them, or... People who are co-workers. <laughs> this all matters. While I'm jealous of anyone who can actually do this, but doing the lunchtime RPG group, 
it's going to be a very different atmosphere than having a Saturday a month where everyone gets together and for like eight hours you're playing. The connections that you're making are very different. In some ways, it's, hey, look, we're trying to have team building over here and doing something that's kind of fun (laughs) for everyone. And it's amazingly that. (laughs) Whereas other times it's getting together and having fun and just a bunch of friends getting together. Like those two are almost bridging the gap between the two categories I come up with earlier. Risa, have you done any convention or role GMing for people that you don't know that well? Yes, not convention, but just for people. When I started with the group that are now my regulars, I did not know them very well. Okay. And I ran the um, Beyond the Rim, uh, which was my first experience GMing ever. Um, <laughs> so it was... Go Cyber Kitties. Yeah, it was, my, it was my first experience. And it was also, I don't know these people super well. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to do one for people I don't know very well as well, which I talked about in a recent episode about the the Nancy Drew mystery one I'm going to do for those Nancy Drew nerds, (laughs) which they are calling me out. They're like, hey, when are we going to do this? And I'm like, I have to (laughs) get my schedule in order, guys. I'm a grown adult with work. Yeah. That's part of why I wanted to talk about this, because that is going to be a group of people where I know some of them kind of well, and some of them, I just know their screen names, and that's it. <laughs> so I feel it's it's very different situation, <laughs> because I have no idea how they're going to react. When I'm doing my Mars mission sessions, I have a pretty strong, like, pretty good idea on how all of those people are going to react with what I give to them. I'm like, I am giving them monsters. They're going to adopt them. This is just going to happen. (laughs) I knew that. I gave them the option of horror. They took it. I still knew they were going to do this. I know that's what they're going to do. However, with these other people, I'm like, I have no idea what they're going to choose to do. Like, that's actually a pretty big consideration. The closer you are to jamming with friends, like, you know how they're going to react, the more you can get away with. Yeah. My group that I've been jamming for 25 years, I know exactly what I can get away with on account of that sort of experience. And the last six years of breaking them out of, I roll to hit. Well, what do you do? <laughs> we were the classic D&D group that just, we were so mechanical with it. And that's the reason why I love this system is the growing from it. With them, I'm fostering a way of doing more with their characters, doing more with their play style. But I've also got a very good idea of, like, I'm trying to help them grow as players as opposed to or getting two new players for heroes and having zero idea on how the heck they're going to react. And one person actually cares about their backstory, which... <laughs> I mean, like backstories. A player that cares about a backstory? Wow. And making it matter as opposed to just, yeah, I did a thing or two. (laughs) All of my players care about their backstories. (laughs) So much. I get novels. Like, literally. I'm not joking. I was given literature to read. Okay. Yes. Pages and pages. And I went, I'm not going to read all of this. 
I hope you understand. (laughs) (laughs) Working with people I know really well, I also know that I can add in inside jokes. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And I know I'm going to get a laugh, (laughs) (laughs) especially if things are going getting too dark or it's going too serious. The big thing is with my Mars group, we've always, I don't know what it is, and I'm sorry to anyone named Ted, but Ted (laughs) is the name of villains. Every villain is named Ted, and I don't know why. It's such a thing that on our Discord server, we have an emote that says F Ted. And I I don't know why. And that spilled over into my other group as well. And so anytime, especially in Star Wars, it was really funny. If I couldn't think of a name of someone, their name was Ted. And so now it's just there are Teds throughout the galaxy. So, you know, someone's like, well, what's his name? And I was like, this Rodian is named Ted because I invented him right now. And now you guys know that. It's also my way of telling them this guy doesn't matter. Stop talking to him. It's decent to actually have that sort of a shorthand. Yeah, they're like, okay, and who else is at the bar? I'm like, uh, and there's a Rodian who is, you know, flirting with the bartender. And they're like, oh, I want to talk to the Rodian. Um, what's the Rodian's name? It's Ted. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This guy does not matter. <laughs> Walk away. But that would not work at a convention. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. They'd be like, okay, yeah, this Rodian is it's called Ted. For some reason. I'm wanting to learn about this Rodian's backstory and why are they here? Exactly. <laughs> and how can I help them herd nerfs? <laughs> you bring up probably the biggest, not exactly weakness of convention games, but the biggest difference of GMing for people that you just don't know. Doing it with Star Wars or doing it with Nancy Drew or doing a murder mystery one, especially if you've got people who know like Nancy Drew and Agatha Christie novels, you've got common tropes is really what I'm going to. Yeah. If I'm doing a Firefly RPG slot at a RPG convention, the people who are going to be signing up are going to be fans of the franchise. Because I love this system as much as I do, I GM Star Wars at conventions when I do conventions. So I know everyone sitting down at the table has at least a passing knowledge of a movie or two from Star Wars. And I can use that as an icebreaker. It's like, okay, yeah, well, what was your favorite scene in whichever movie? And we can go around the table, quick little icebreaker, and also then I've got an idea of where I can play homage to all of my Star Wars scenes. We have a narrative shorthand that we can use. Hmm. That's nice. I like that. Now I'm going to steal it. <laughs> I mean, that's half the reason for doing this stuff. So, yeah. I know, right? Go figure. A GM advice podcast is giving me GM advice. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking now for my Nancy Drew one, because I'm going to tr- try to, like, not quite a session zero, because it's going to be for everyone who wants to do it. Just kind of more uh, like a, okay, I'm going to teach everyone how to make characters kind of a session. Okay. For anyone who's never played an RPG ever, or anyone who's not understanding the Genesis stuff that I've provided, because I sent them a really cool website that I can't remember now. It's in my bookmarks on the other computer. (laughs) Of course. But now I'm going to make them all go around and tell me their favorite Nancy Drew book. That can definitely work well. It will. It'll help. We've been talking about how to do private games 
how is it different once you move to doing a game for other people's consumption? So you guys do Heroes Mm -hmm. as an actual play. I know that one gets edited and stuff, but how is that different? How does your GM style change? There's two things. One, you mentioned that it being edited is a thing, and that's the reason why I put a edited podcast as a different beast than, say, streaming. Because streaming, you're just always on. On the other hand, you can run into the dead episodes where, look, we're doing a three-hour trip (laughs) to the cantina and the marketplace. If you can make it interesting, great. But sometimes those just feel like you're getting tortured. I mean, it's like the difference between an edited let's play of a video game versus someone streaming the game on Twitch. It's like, there's a market for both. Oh, exactly. And and it's that's... just, it's different. And some people enjoy watching everyone squabble about what they're going to do next out of character, I guess. <laughs> I do enjoy both. I enjoy actual play podcasts as well as streamed games as well. They're fun for different reasons. They really are. And I'll be the first to admit that I was more going at the absolute, truly worst case for a streamed game. Yeah. No, I feel like that's... If I streamed my Mars mission games, it wouldn't be that bad. But if I streamed my urban fantasy games, it would literally be three hours of everyone out of character being like, okay, but what if we did this next? Well, what if we did this (laughs) next? It really depends on your players. (laughs) It really does. Like, it's one of those things of your mentality shifts because (laughs) it isn't just you as a GM. It's also what your players are expecting. Yeah. Yes, everything sort of flows from how the GM is. But there's also essentially a stream or podcast or however you're doing it because I know now I'm just thinking of, okay, I'm an Edmonton in Probably by the time this episode goes up, Mark Mir of Mass Effect, Mailship, uh, voice <laughs> renown, is going to be doing a in-person D&D game, hmm. which it's taking streaming to a different tact. <laughs> but the ideas behind it are still the same. It's In the end, it's improv acting with players. Yeah. Everyone at the table is there to be entertaining. They know that they're there to be entertaining. Taking a look at Heroes, because obviously I know Heroes well. (laughs) At no time in Heroes are we doing, I shoot the guy. Yeah. At no time it's, I want to charm this stormtrooper. It's, how am I charming them? And actually role-playing it out. In doing a jamming and doing a game for consumption, at no time is there the opportunity to take the, I just want the role option. Understandable. Because that wouldn't be very interesting to listen to. <laughs> well, exactly. And that that's the entire reason why you're not going for that. Even the simplest ones that I can think of are mostly because I'm thinking of combat. Because you can be a lot more florid with creating scenes where you're negotiating or mm-hmm. where you're grilling some guy for information. Or an entire bar just sort of tries to eavesdrop on you grilling this poor Rodian for information that he has no idea about. <laughs> Combat's always the one that you're trying to burn through first, and it's always the one that takes forever, and it's always the one that you're trying to cut corners if you ever are trying to cut corners, especially in a performance thing, because 
okay, well, how much damage do I do? How much advantage do I have? Okay, I can do these crits. I'm looking at the tables. I'm trying to do this. Like, there's so much more mechanical behind it. Yeah. But there's also, at which point you're just sort of trying to play up all of that. Yeah. Okay, when we recorded this, um, it's the day that the second half of ep- of episode 12 for Trouble Brewing dropped on Heroes. And at the end of the first part, there was David drawing down on the big bad of this particular adventure, <laughs> switching his blaster from stun to kill, and giving a quippy one-liner. <laughs> and that's where the first part ended. And... Yeah, you're going to get a little bit of that in like a personal game or even a convention game. But if you're doing this for someone else's consumption, you're playing that up. Everything is like that. I feel like I play that up a lot with my home (laughs) games anyway. But that's, again, coming as someone who I was an actress. So I'm already like having fun with it. We might as well. Like, I know the reason why I'm essentially leaning on Edge of the Empire and the rest of them for this is because I was so into the SAG edition where it it felt, and especially with the group that I had, it seemed to take 10 times as long in anything that we were doing for the roles. Some of that's GMing, some of that's player style and all the other things because it was so much more of a tactical thing. The system works so much better for being that more open. That makes sense. When you're plotting, I know you're using pre-made adventures. That's the word I'm looking for, for heroes. But you're obviously, you're fleshing them out and stuff a little bit. When you're doing it for the podcast, how is it different from when you're prepping for a home game? Because I know my prepping style is very different based on which group I'm prepping for. Mm. Like for my, as in for my Mars group, I basically don't prep at all. I I wrote a vague outline at the very beginning. And now I just, every session, I just start and I have the pictures that I drew of everyone. And then I just go, okay, we're here. And then, and then I just go. Whereas for people I don't know very well, I have to have a lot more written out because I need more possibilities of what people are going to be doing. Because I don't know how they'll react. Whereas I know pretty well how other people are going to react. But for heroes, do you feel like you need to have like a lot more prepared? Because it's going to be out there? I feel that I need to have more prepared for heroes on account of... I don't want to have the pauses on where I'm looking up stuff. Mm-hmm. All of my prep is making sure that everything is very easy for me to find and I know where everything is. Like if I'm looking for the table for a knowledge check Mm -hmm. and knowing what successes and advantages will mean from that, it's at that point where I'll do prep and make sure that it's there. If it's, I need to get these bits of information into people, I'll make sure that like my NPCs will have the bullet points of this is the information that they have. And if the players don't ask, well, sucks to be the players. But I'm prepared for almost any question that I can think of that is plot relevant for it. Cool. Looking things up, it always makes me think. I they always my players always ask me <laughs> the things that I don't expect to have to look up. It's like we're somewhere, and they'll be like, "How hard would it be to find power armor?" And I'm like, I, "What?" Um, <laughs> yes. It's, 
but he still somehow succeeded at that check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he still failed almost all of the checks while wearing it. Fantastic. <laughs> it was hilarious. Now I've decided most of the time they're all like, what can I find? We're going to go shopping. I want to go shopping. I was like, okay, I now have just a list of things you can find. You can't find anything but those things. <laughs> Otherwise, everyone's going like, I want to go find. They pull out this big old, they pull out the rule book. <laughs> they open it up. I want to go find. And I'm like, no, that's not how this goes. Sorry, we aren't going to Sears Roebuck right now. <laughs> We're not going to Space Sears, of course, because in my group, we just put space in front of whatever it is. Uh-huh. If we can't <laughs> think of the actual Star Wars name for whatever it is, it's just space something. <laughs> I like all the space social media that we've invented. Spacegram. Spacebook. <laughs> <laughs> it works. It really does. Especially it's like, okay, I need to get this this idea across. Exactly. Because even if you come up with a cool name for it, it's, all right, this is Galaxy Gathers. Galaxy Gab. Galaxy Gab. All right. So what is it? Twitter. All right. It's Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Like it, and use that. Like, just go go ahead and use that. But it's one of those things. Of, anything like that, you're just going to be bringing back to, yeah, it's space Twitter or it's, it's space, space Instagram. <laughs> So you might as well just call it Space Twitter. I like including that kind of stuff in my games. <laughs> it it well, it's makes good it more stuff fun to do. It does. Yeah. It really does. And it makes a lot of good art because, of course, all of my friends do art. Not all of them in the Mars group. They they are all artists, of course, because they're fantastic artists, and nothing I do can compare. Which you know, saying something because if you guys follow me on Twitter, I do. I, I'm pretty okay at art, but they will all like be sketching during sessions. And then it'll be like these amazing comics of what just went on in the session. That's really cool. It's like they're being stenographers, but in comic <laughs> form. That's yeah. That's just really cool. I love it. <laughs> Understandably. So circling back to one of the things that you had said, it, Kind of got me thinking as to, I really think of it sort of as a continuum of like GMing styles and where you're coming from things. Like mm -hmm. you've got the big shows out there that are getting people into things like campaign. You've got things like Critical Role and all these other ones. Yeah. Acquisitions Incorporated because they are what they are. <laughs> but it's one of those things of, okay, you've got these very over-the-top kind of styles coming in, and we're dealing with a system that does that sort of thing really well. Yeah. That's the beauty of the Genesis or narrative system. You can do all these things so beautiful. Oh, definitely. And you can take this very theatrical way of doing the storytelling, and it works. Doing the theatrics works if you're doing a stream, like doing a stream, you pretty much have to be theatrical. Doing yeah. a podcast, you pretty much have to be theatrical, maybe to a lesser extent. Doing well, a convention? In a podcast, you have to be theatrical in your voice. You have to be very engaging in how you're doing your <laughs> voice. Otherwise, because I've listened to actual play podcasts where I could not continue listening to them because they had <laughs> very... Very monotonous voices, and I couldn't keep going. Oh, yes. 
True. So true. Which can happen, and I feel bad, but I also have auditory issues. So to be fair, it's not you guys. Keep doing your thing. But you do still have to put a lot of heroes. You guys do a really good job of putting a lot of like character into your voices, even if it's not like accents with everyone or voices. It's just a lot of character into the, into the voices. Oh, well, thank you. I You're welcome. <laughs> I absolutely know that like all the players and heroes take great care with that. Yeah. Then get, I also get amazingly lucky with some of the NPCs that are <laughs> just good old Rebo. And then there's <laughs> other ones that show up that are just <laughs> So you've got the theatric end of things, but you can also be theatrical at a convention game. And mm-hmm. if you are theatrical at a convention game, everyone at the table then will feel a bit more permission to be theatrical. Okay. Kind of like what you had said. You can also be theatrical at your own table. Yeah. There's so many people that streams are bringing into, well, they can do it and I'm wanting to do it at my table. Well, you can't. There's nothing saying that you can't. It's practice. It's trying to become improvisational storytelling. Like, that's the bear of doing podcasting and ex- the extreme thing of streaming. Like, podcasting, you can take five minutes and get your bearings, and mm-hmm. then some very nice person is just going to cut that. <laughs> if they're less kind, they will put it at the end of the episode, and it will be <laughs> there for everyone to laugh at, but it won't be distracting <laughs> in the episode. Whereas with streaming, if your stream of conscious has failed, well, that's on camera. And now it's time to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Convention games, you either have people there who know the system well and are just there for a story, or you've got people new to the system and everyone there is trying to learn and have fun. Like, it's a convention. That's what you do. Yeah. Or you're there with your friends and everyone's there to have fun. Yeah. I feel like with being theatrical at your own table, energy level-wise, whatever the GM puts out, you like, if you go to 50, everyone at your table will be at, like, 40. So if you want everyone at your table to be at like 60, you have to be at like 70 or 80. It's kind of how I've noticed. I don't know if that's universal, but it's just kind of how it feels. That if you want to get more energy out of your players, you have to like amp yourself up and give more. I absolutely agree with that. And it's also been what my experience is. So if that that's a little, little sprinkling of advice in there is that if you feel like your players aren't putting out much energy, maybe you need to amp up your energy. Because you can't just be like, okay, and now there's a group of stormtroopers coming at you, um, and they have guns. Because <laughs> your players are going to be like, okay, so um, we're, I, I guess I shoot at them. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to the stormtroopers are advancing on the group of heroes. Three of them go to the left side, taking cover in behind a tactical potted plant. While seven move off to the left, ducking in behind the picnic tables that are there for officers. Exactly. Much more of a scene, much more energy, much more action. (laughs) Instead of in mine, which was like a white space with nothing except for like three (laughs) stormtroopers. Like a kid's drawing in your brain. (laughs) As opposed to like a dynamic, like comic book in your brain. Especially when you're working in theater of the mind, you kind of have to, I feel like the less details you give, the more like 
in my brain, it's like a children's drawing with a crayon. That's a great way of putting it. I've always sort of thought of it as like the holodeck on Star Trek. Okay. If you put no details in there, it's just this black box that you're in with these orange lines and whatever you got. Or, you know, my thing is because I do so much of just like taking a piece of like printer paper and just draw scribbling something on it. Yeah, that's that's that for me. <laughs> it's like, here, guys, this is what it is. And I was like, oh, if I'd maybe gone more into depth in my description, we wouldn't have to rely on this hastily scribbled sheet of printer paper. <laughs> it's fine. But the thing is, is that it can be fine. It's the prompt that gets you going. Yeah. Even if it's at a convention, uh, oh, some of the things that I've put to the players on Hiding Heroes that shall probably never see the light of day beyond is <laughs> season one, I drew up a... I, I didn't even really draw it. I just sort of enlar like hand enlarged uh, a map from the <laughs> book because it was so tiny. I didn't want to just take well, this tiny picture. I'm going to actually blow it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> now we can understand what the heck was going on. It still was just like a sketch I did in like five minutes. Yeah. As opposed to properly cartographed maps that you're going to be doing this abstracted combat on. Yeah. That's never happening out of me. <laughs> There's some really fun programs out there. I just, so not Star Wars. No, it's not. It's not Star Wars. Lego is Star Wars because there's so much Star Wars Lego. There really is. <laughs> it's perfect. I can be like, and then you guys all get into this X-Wing. Pull out an entire X-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay, you guys can't all fit in this X-Wing, but pretend there are two of them. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's sort of the thing is the more it comes back to just being your table, the more permission you have from the group that you're around to not be perfect. Yeah. Doing a podcast, you're always considering, oh, well, should I just re-say everything so that I can have it come out perfectly this time? As opposed to, what the heck am I doing this time? Okay, I'm just grasping at straws and finding <laughs> the first one that's there. To me, that's sort of the difference between a personal and uh, more professional, I guess, is the word that I would be going for. Yeah. Is how much polish are you wanting to put on it? Half the time, I forget NPCs' names and rename them and say the wrong <laughs> thing in my private games. So it's like, I would probably just have to re-say things in, a, in an actual play. <laughs> Wait, did I just say, did I just say Coco? I meant Dion, you know. <laughs> the other person you're trying to talk to. And it's at that point where flashcards become really handy. <laughs> where you just start, okay, random NPC. Okay, new index card. This is a person's <laughs> name. Oh, these are the things that they have said so far. <laughs> yes, they are a spice smuggler. That Yes, they do have a weird like for gothric ships because they look like turtles. <laughs> they do. They all look like turtles. I don't know what it is. I like making bulleted lists. <laughs> I do lots of bulleted lists in Google Drive. It works. Really works. It does. It's being quick like that. That helps. One of the pieces of advice that I've heard for just be trying to be a better GM, but it's one of those things of it kind of goes with the territory with streaming or podcasting. You can do this at your table. Just make sure that everyone is aware of it. You can record a session 
and then listen back to it. Everyone hates the sound of their own voice, generally. <laughs> very, very few people aren't weirded out by the sound of their own voice, not being from them as they're speaking, or it just <laughs> doesn't sound right or any of that fun stuff. Yeah, no one does. Uh, it's rare that people do. Like My sister sounds almost exactly like me, so I'm kind of used to hearing it. Yeah, but thankfully the two of you don't have the same speech patterns, usually. That's true. That's true. But if you do that, then you can start seeing as not so much a consumer, but you can start seeing the things where you're dissatisfied with that you may forget and that that's where you can start honing up on. It's, oh, I had to search five minutes to get this NPC's motivations right because I didn't have it written down. Or my players threw me for a loop by asking for these items. Like, how much is a stim pack supposed to cost? Yeah. Most people who are playing or on a podcast are going to listen to it, so they get this reinforcement. It starts falling away most of the things that you dislike about what is going on. Sometimes... They're just affectations like you can't, but you also start to learn to become much more at peace with them. As for the efficacy of it, I know I have become a better GM since starting Heroes because I've listened to every Heroes episode and I know where I have done wrong and where <laughs> I've been unsatisfied with things. And then I'm listening to season two of Heroes and I'm wondering who the heck is GMing this because they're doing a good job. <laughs> it's like, wow, this actually is a really awesome show. <laughs> As opposed to your own project, it's either the best thing or the worst thing. It always is. Yeah. Every now and then with Heroes, I don't remember I was on it. <laughs> I'm able to get caught up in it. Yeah. When you've worn away the parts that you don't like about your GMing or your playing style, that's what it allows you to do. Yeah. Risa, that was my final thought. What is yours for some of the differences you feel in GMing for different player relations? <laughs> player groups, player... I don't know. I would say... This is a hard one, because I can't just say communicate. <laughs> I would say that definitely before you start planning for a session, take a look at your player group, take a look at your audience, which might be just your player group, and let that help you plan before you get right into planning. Because you're obviously going to plan differently for your best friends from your childhood than your coworkers and where your boss is going to be there or something. like. That's going to be a very different session. So take into account that before you do the bulk of your planning in your session is kind of how I'm going to. That's going to be my advice. Okay, I got them all back into the crates. It took all night and it was very messy, but I did it. With no help from the Bogwing, might I add. Are we there yet? Just let me get this ramp down. Okay. Yes, you Wookiees over there. Yep, pick up the, the all the crates are right there. Yep. Thank you for taking these off of our hands. And thank you for the payment. See, Risa, this run for the Kashyyyk poor Granchers wasn't so bad at all. Join us next time on A Bountiful Tale from the Hydean Way. You can find us on Twitter at The Hydean Way. And I'm at Deuterium Ice. 
And you can find me at Cookie Kit. We're all at theheidianway.com where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plus, you can help us out by rating and reviewing us. Drop us a holocom at tales at theheidianway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Hydean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash theheidianway. Or you can give us a calf at ko-fi.com slash theheidianway. Alright, I don't know if this is actually going to be an outtake or get tacked on to, like, a tail thing, but the my one other sort of piece of weird advice is play to the system. Mm, yeah. With the Fancy Flight narrative system, play to the advantage, play to the threat, play to the weird results you get. You rhymed. If you're doing Powered by the Apocalypse, play to Powered by the Apocalypse and how you can succeed with cost or anything like that. If you're doing the Cypher system, play to its strengths. But whatever system you're doing, make the system almost a character. Because, like, your own game, you're always going to be okay with it. Like, by the time it's your own game, and once you've got a few games under your belt, there's the system's going to be relatively frictionless. And you're just going to be able to tell a story in the system. But every other one, it's... If you're doing it at a convention, there's people who are learning it for the first time. So, And they're wanting to do things the proper way. <laughs> and seriously, there's air quotes around that. Because there's no proper way. There never is. No. But people are there. They're wanting to be studious. They're wanting, they're wanting to learn the proper way so that they don't insult you. That's really the reason why they're wanting to do it the proper way. Or most of the time. It's trying to be a better player or a respectful player. And then with podcasts and streaming, this could be people's first chance of ever experiencing the system. You're sort of an ambassador for it. Like, yeah. Heroes, we kind of went overboard with the whole being an ambassador. And <laughs> there's my opinions on friends like these and a bunch of all the other things. But yeah. The basic thing is, listen to heroes, learn enough so that you can play, play your own games. Yeah. And play in the system that facilitates what you're wanting. Yeah.